Hi, this is Doug Hooley, and you're listening to the Called Out Cafe podcast. I hope your holidays were a blessing to you, and somewhere amidst them, you experienced a meaningful connection with God. This is episode number 11 in the series titled, The Biblical Worldview of the Spirit Realm. In the last episode, I talked about the various rebellions against God that have taken place in history and are yet to take place. Today, I'm going to talk about some of the penalties imposed upon those rebellious spirit beings. But first, I want to give you an update on a couple things that you may or may not be interested in. While I took a couple weeks off from producing these podcasts, I stayed busy working on my latest book titled, Leaving the Church to Follow Jesus. I'm excited to say that after nearly five years and two heart attacks later, my first rough draft of the book is done. I am still many months away from completing the project, but the process of research and initial articulating what I'm trying to say is done. Well, the problem is, it's 650 pages long, (laughs) even after already cutting 100 pages, and nobody's going to read a book that long. So the process of editing and cutting begins. I want to get it down to like 400 pages without losing the important information in the book, and that's going to take some time. I'm really excited about the paradigm-shifting content of this book. In a future, probably special edition of this podcast, I'm going to explain why. Okay, so secondly, I want to let you know that I'm working on a one- or two-part video on the current subject of this podcast, The Spirit Realm. Specifically, a history of the Spirit Realm according to the Bible. The script is written, and I'm preparing to shoot the video, Hopefully, it'll be ready to go before the end of this podcast series. But whereas I've been approaching the subject here topically in the podcast, in the video, I'll take more of a chronological look at what I'm talking about. I think it'll be helpful. And I love producing videos. They're just a lot of work. For me, about every one minute of video uh, represents about an hour of production time. Anyway, Lord willing... Uh, Look for that in the next few weeks to come out on my YouTube channel. You might want to go there and subscribe so you don't miss the video when it comes out. Like I say, it'll be a good summary of of what we've been talking about. Just Google Doug Hooley Ministries YouTube to find it. Okay, so the topic of the supernatural realm, even when it's based on the Bible, can seem threatening to some. Either it sounds like polytheism, like God is just one of many gods, like Zeus, is in relationship to the other Greek gods, or it may seem like God is not entirely in control. Well, both of those fears are unbiblical. The Bible's clear on God's unique omniscience, transcendence, absolute power, and infiniteness. 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 You know what I'm trying to say. Well, the Bible is also clear on God's absolute sovereignty. God both restrains and sets the boundaries. His plans are often complex, and His way of doing things are clearly not the way that we would do things. Being the great storyteller God is, His plan or story is definitely not boring. If it were a novel, it would be known as a real page-turner. It can be helpful to note how God maintains discipline and control all throughout His story within the unseen realm. Even in the ranks of those who have rebelled against him. Like humans, 
their ultimate judgment awaits them. Let's talk about the Nakash. As I said in the last episode, the first supernatural being to rebel and fall and be penalized was the Nakash of the Garden of Eden. Here's his sentence. This is from uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. The Nakash, as a reminder, is the serpent in the garden that deceived Eve. Anyway, here we go. The Lord God said to the serpent, the Nakash, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Again, that was Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Nakash's main habitat was no longer to be in the presence of God, the Garden of Eden, or the heavenly realm. Although he remains in spiritual form, his main home became the earth. He continues to act as a deceiver, and he appears to still have access to the heavenlies to this day in the role of the accuser of the brethren. Interestingly, even though he received this penalty for rebelling, sometime between his fall in the garden and Jesus' day, Satan was even given authority over all the Gentile nations. That was probably at the same time the nations were divided at the time of the Tower of Babel incident I've talked about in past podcasts. The Nakash is the most likely candidate for being the same entity identified in the book of Revelation as the Great Dragon, also known as the Serpent or Satan. At the end of the age, he'll finally be forcefully thrown down to the earth once and for all. Following what's commonly called the Battle of Armageddon, he will be bound up for a thousand years and thrown into the pit. Then, ultimately at the end of the thousand years, after he again leads another failed rebellion, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. It's a fire that does not consume or destroy because it's a fire that's designed to torment, quote, day and night forever and ever, unquote. That is the end of Satan. He's disposed of like trash. So let's talk about the punishment of the rebellious sons of God. The Apostle Peter and Jude tell us that the angels, or sons of God, who descended from heaven and lay with the daughters of men, were punished by being cast into hell. That's where they are today. Here's how Jude put it in Jude 6-7. to And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. The judgment they will undergo in the great day does not mean that they'll go to court and have some kind of trial in the future. It means the, <clears throat> excuse me, the imposition of a penalty or the execution of judgment for what they've already been judged and found guilty of. Since even the hell that they're currently residing in will be cast into the lake of fire, their punishment will likely also consist of being thrown into the lake of fire along with Satan. Moving on to the punishment in store for the regional governing supernatural princes, you know, the authorities and powers that rule over regions. The purpose of the meeting of the assembly of the Elohim, 
the gods, found in Psalm 82, is the chastising or judging of the other angels known as the sons of God who make up the divine council. It's the Most High God, Yahweh, who does the judging. There in Psalm 82 we read that God, Elohim, has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods, Elohim. He holds judgment. After Yahweh takes his place in the assembly, we see him say to the sons of God the following. This is verse 2. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. That's Yahweh speaking to the sons of God. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Yahweh then tells them what they are supposed to be doing that they have not been doing. As he continues in verse 3, it says this, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. So we can easily assume those sons of God are not doing those things. And God, Yahweh, is telling them, this is what you need to be doing. Well, now God pronounces the penalty for failing to act as they're supposed to in verse 6. I said, you are gods, Elohim, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. So that was Psalms 82, and the whole thing was verses 2 to 7. We see God chastising his wayward sons. They failed to do what the Most High gave them to do when he placed them over the nations. This was Yahweh saying, I gave you godlike authority over the nations, as though you were my heirs with my own authority, and you failed. Their penalty was to lose their immortality. One day they will all die, like they've watched many men do. Well, that had to strike a lot of fear in them. This list is instructive of the types of things that the heavenly host in charge of geographic regions were given the responsibilities to accomplish. And I sum it up here. First, they failed to provide justice. This implies they should have provided justice. Secondly, they failed to provide comfort to the weak and needy. This indicates they should have and they should be comforting the weak and needy. They have failed, this is number three, they have failed to deliver them from the hands of evil men. God expected those he placed in charge over the nations to deliver the innocent from the hands of evil men. Well, how bad have they failed there? Number four, they have failed to bring about knowledge and understanding. They've left their people under them in darkness. This implies the angels failed to provide knowledge and understanding, particularly with the things that count, the things that would lead people out of darkness, like revealing to them the truth of God and the gospel of Jesus. Presumably, these sons of God failed to bring about knowledge and understanding about who to worship, Yahweh, the Most High, since the results, according to this psalm, is that the people walk about in darkness. 
We also read about what it is that the sons of God did in many places in the Old Testament, which was an additional offense to the Most High God. It is, and was, to receive worship or be thought of as a God themselves by the people that they were in authority over. For example, this is what Deuteronomy 17, verses 2 to 6 says. If there's found among you, within any of your towns, that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun and the moon, or any of the heavenly host of heaven, which I have forbidden, and it is told to you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, you know, look into it, investigate it. And if it's true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones." Well, of course, the Israelites went and served other gods and worshipped them on many occasions with no opposition from the gods that they were worshipping. If you're taking notes and look stuff up after podcast, uh, here's a few examples of those. There was Ashtoreth. You can find uh, the stories of him in 1 Kings 11.5 and 2 Kings 23.13 examples because he's all over the place. Baal in Numbers 25, 2-3. Chemosh in 2 Kings 23.13, Dagon, 1 Samuel 5, Marduk, also known as Bel, and about 30 other names, uh, like Molech, in 1 Kings 11.5. That's just naming a few. So to add to the list of offenses committed by the evil, supernatural, fallen regional powers, we can put a number five in there, that they accepted the worship of those they oversaw rather than directing that worship towards Yahweh. In Psalms 82, apparently knowing the sons of God would fail to heed the words of Yahweh and repent, we see Yahweh pronounce judgment on them. Not being human, none of them had ever died before, like they had observed many humans do. They thought they were immortal. Now, they're informed by the Most High God that they will die like men do. From that point forward, they knew they would cease to exist one day, having no idea when that would happen. In response to the words of Yahweh, the psalmist finishes Psalms 82 by saying in verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. The end of Psalms 82 is not just what you might be tempted to think of as another random round of praise for God. This verse confirms for us that the plan is for Yahweh to take back control of the nations that he assigned out after dividing them at Babel. For you shall inherit all the nations. Meaning, Yahweh has placed others over the nations temporarily, but it will not always be that way. When Jesus returns, he will rule all the nations. He'll put all of his enemies under his feet. His elect followers will rule those nations with him. Here's the deal. They will replace the supernatural beings who currently hold those positions. The bottom line punishment for those geographical authorities and powers in heavenly places is that they're going to lose their jobs and be subjected to the same death as humans. 
as a side note, to help understand part of what it is those who will rule and reign over the earth with Jesus will do in the next age, let's take another look at this list of things that the supernatural beings have failed to do that got Yahweh ticked off at them. They're probably the same things that those who oversee the nations will be tasked with once Jesus returns. This is far from the picture of saints sitting on clouds with angels and strumming their harps. The responsibilities of those ruling and reigning with Jesus will likely include this. Number one, providing justice. You know, we're told about judging angels, etc. Number two, providing comfort to the weak and needy. Three, delivering people from the hands of evil. Four, teaching, bringing about knowledge and understanding of God. And five, acting as a priest, directing worship towards Yahweh and His Son, Jesus. You can find all sorts of biblical evidence for that, uh, not just limited to this Psalms 82 verse. Well, there are other examples of God chastising and punishing spiritual beings elsewhere in the Old Testament, presumably for the same reasons as we just talked about. For example, in the story about the Hebrew exodus from Egypt, most focus on what God did to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. But they missed the following from Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 to 13. This is what that says. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Then, this is what Yahweh said he would do to the Babylonian god Baal, also known as Marduk, and about 38 other names. <laughs> this is from Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 44. It says this, And I will punish Baal and Babylon, and take out of his mouth what he has swallowed. The nations shall no longer flow to him. The wall of Babylon has fallen. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read about how God will completely humiliate the king of Babylon, which is likely another spirit realm regional prince. Then Ezekiel 28 verses 11 to 19 speaks of roughly the same end for the being called the king of Tyre, who have previously stated may in fact be Satan. Well, the final punishment. The prophet Isaiah sums up for us the punishment that awaits all the host of heaven who have found themselves in rebellion against God. Isaiah 24, verses 21 to 22 tells us that, On that day the Lord will punish the host of heaven, in heaven, and the kings of the earth, on the earth. They'll be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. This is a prophecy concerning God's judgment that will accompany the day of the Lord, which coincides with the return of Jesus. That's what the phrase means that on that or in that day, that's what that's referring to, the day of the Lord. This Isaiah passage in particular singles out the host of heaven along with the kings of the earth. After being shut up in what's referred to as a prison or a pit, for what's referred to as many days, the rebellious members of the host of heaven and the kings of the earth will all be punished. 
Since elsewhere in Scripture we see transgressing angels being sentenced to hell to await their judgment, it's most likely that this prison, or pit, is a symbolic term for hell. The punishment they will receive ultimately after many days will come following the millennial reign of Jesus. That's what the many days is referring to. And that punishment will be to be thrown into the lake of fire, which hell itself is finally thrown into. Well, as some have noted, there doesn't appear to be any opportunity of redemption represented in Scripture for the members of the heavenly host who have rebelled. In the absence of biblical evidence, arguments in favor of angelic redemption usually appeal to human sense of fairness, of which God is not bound. Some others who want to give the fallen angels a break have also pointed to the language of Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where the seven letters are addressed to seven different angels. The angels appear to be given a chance to repent in some of the letters. However, these angels are human message givers, not spiritual realm message deliverers. The Greek word angelos, referring to human messengers, is used elsewhere in the New Testament, specifically in Luke 7, 24, 9, 52, and James 2, 25, if you want to look those up. The idea that God would need John to take dictation on some parchment and then deliver it to seven spiritual beings is just silly. So what's the takeaway of all this, this discipline of angelic messengers? Well, it's that God uses angels like he uses people for his purposes throughout his plan. Like people, some angels were created as vessels for honorable purposes and others for dishonorable Those who believe angels were created to be obedient robots need to think that over again. Is Satan bound up and not able to influence humans today? Or are humans solely responsible for the evil taking place in the world? I believe the Bible strongly indicates that Satan is roaming the earth and doing his worst to deceive and mislead as he has since the time of the Garden of Eden. Regional beings God handed the nations over to have failed, and the nations today continue to live live under those same influences. Remember, the only nation or people not under the authority of these fallen beings is the nation of Israel. All else are allies of Satan that are all looking forward to dying like men. Finally, the most important thing to remember is that even though there are apparently millions upon millions of satanic angels or demons roaming the earth, Yahweh remains in complete control. He restrains and he sets the parameters of what they may and they may not accomplish. As in the case of Job, he controls who Satan may affect. And we know that all such evil beings have been placed under the authority of Jesus, who has granted those who belong to him the same authority when going about his business and acting according to his will. The safest place to be in light of all this is in the household of Jesus, going about the master's business. Well, that's it for this time. The plan is for next time to talk about all the various types of spiritual beings that are spoken of in the Bible. Until then, God bless.
and Maranatha. Thanks for joining me today. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries. And I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com. Or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com. That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless. Thank you.